wonderful to be back. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to uh, give a brief on my testimony to you, and then um, if I have time, I preach a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, Pastor Jeff told me that some of you haven't heard my life story. I've come, I have come from a very dark background, uh, radical Muslim leader, Muslim scholar, and politician, and he changed my life in an amazing way. I have got some photos to tell. We have come from Iran, country in the Middle East, uh, country of Cyrus and uh, Darius, country of Daniel and Esther. Esther was the queen of Persia. But now this country has become a terrorist cell, unfortunately. And, uh, but, and also God is using us in an amazing way, you know, to turn the table around in, in that country. Under the leadership of this man, Ayatollah Khomeini, I became a radical Muslim and uh, opposing the king of Iran, the Shah. He hated the king of Iran because King of Iran accepted Israel as a country. No Muslim has right to accept Israel as a country or even any, any right for Jews. If you believe in any right for Jews, you're an infidel and you have to be, you know, uh, excommunicated and killed. So he hated the king and wanted the king to be killed. And also we didn't like king because of political and social injustice. You know that in Middle East is full of injustice, you know, <laughs> political, social, ethical, whatever you want to name it. And so we were oppositions and got together and accepted him as our leader. And uh, eventually the king left the country and we captured the country because I was one of the famous boys, that's me there, initially invited to start the revolutionary army in Iran. That army's nickname is Hezbollah. It's the phrase comes from the Quran, chapter 5, that means the army of Allah, or the party of Allah. The goal of the army was to prepare young boys and girls with uh, fighting and, uh, you know, terrorist and suicide bombing techniques and tactics, send them to capture Israel, and also do terrorist, you know, thing in uh, other countries, especially in Western countries, and in particular, America. America is the great Satan for committed Muslim and America and Israel at the, you know, forefront of the list for destruction. So I was the first person, you know, one of the three invited to do that, but very, very, very you know, soon I became an opposition to the grand leader and uh, for many reasons. I, I don't have time to talk about that. They are evil people, Muslim leaders. You never trust any Muslim leader, no matter they are moderate or they are radical. They are not moderate, actually. They can show moderate. And so um, he deceived us. A deception is part of Islamic doctrine, but we never believed that we as righteous Muslim also could be deceived. Islam is a funny religion. The most righteous one can deceive the less righteous one just for the kingdom of Allah. You should not deceive others 
for your own personal thing for, for Allah. So he deceived us in many ways. And so we became a physician to him. And uh, that, uh, you know, uh, a physician became an advantage for us to have the government. One of my colleagues became the president of the country with 88% uh, of people's vote. In that time, I was in my hometown and also partly involved with, um, you know, preparing young boys and girls, um, you know, with fighting techniques. And uh, this girl is my wife. She was one of the girls, you know, had some Islamic quality, a war aggressiveness. I said, that's good enough for me to be her husband. And so uh, for the same interest, we got married. This is our wedding, da wedding day. You see how excited they are? <laughs> um, excitement doesn't make sense in Islam. It makes sense for many Muslims because their culture is different, Elizabeth, to Islamic culture. And so they have from ancient time music, you know, uh, excitement, but they music and excitement are illegal in Islam, unfortunately. And so that's why we are not smiling there. We are very serious. This is, um, this is the time, actually, I became opposition to the Ayatollah and, uh, you know, got my death sentence. What happened? We won the government, as I mentioned, but he was the chief commander of the Revolutionary Army, and uh, he invaded the government, wanted to kill the president. President escaped from the country. The government was demolished. Some of us were able to escape. Some were killed. I was one of them. Caught and put in a, in a cell with four others waiting on death row. All four were killed, but I was able to escape by the help of some friends. And they were my very good friend, old friends, but even though they were not in my party, they were in Ayatollah's party, but they discovered that in the following week or the next, you know, uh, second week, I was going to be killed, and they put their lives in risk, played some political and uh, uh, legal game that's very popular in Islamic country. And so they released me temporarily, I, I could escape from Iran to Turkey. Um, in Turkey, um, life was not secure for me because there are always many Iranian terrorists in Turkey. They killed a lot of Muslim, um, you know, fugitive politicians. I was already, you know, disappointed of Islamic politics, why Muslim brothers are killing each other. They do not have any forgiveness toward each other. What kind of political philosophy is this? So I didn't want to get involved in politics and wanted to save my life. So I stayed away from Iranian people. I didn't know which one was terrorist, which one was not. And uh, because Turkish is my mother language, learning the Turkish in Turkey was so easy for me. I learned it, and after several months, I enrolled in a university to do my doctorate. You need to listen to this. This is an amazing, you know, part of my story. I didn't know how he was, that he was leading my step to open my eyes. And with my supervi supervising professor, 
we chose a major for my doctorate. And that major was how religions, cultures, and philosophical belief shape people's attitudes, their social culture, their organizational culture, their ethics. Now, my doctorate is in international management, but they are so important for business. If you want to go and establish your business in another country, you need to know their culture and religions. And so that was my major. I needed to prepare my dissertation um, with that you know, study. For 32 years, I had studied, I had learned that Islam was the most perfect religion in the world. Every child in Islam, they believe that, that Islam is the last and perfect religion. The world will not see any religion more perfect than Islam. So even though I was disillusioned, you know, uh, um, our Islamic politics and other things, but it's still in my mind I was thinking that I would discover good things about Islam. So my study was about world's major religions and uh, communism, you know, humanism, new age, the things I have covered in my book, Brother Jeff showed to you, Christ above all. After my study, I was shocked and amazed. Shocked because Islam was the least of all religions. Even paganism is better than Islam. <laughs> I'm speaking the truth to you. I have a reason. I always speak with reason. Because if I want to, you know, uh, be face to face with a billion Muslims, I need to have you know, to prepare myself with reason. You know, paganism, I'm talking to you, you know, uh, with worldly measures, not spiritually. Spiritually, paganism is dead. It's in darkness. But socially speaking, paganism is better than Islam. Because in paganism, they call you God. Each one of you God. But Muslim Islam calls you animal. Islam even calls Muslim animal when it comes to decision-making. Because Allah has decided for you. You don't need to make a decision. You surrender yourself. Islam is surrendering without any question. You don't ask a Muslim, hey, I just want to know Islam and then surrender. It says no. Quran says you surrender first and then you know. You see, now I just want to tell you, it is a little bit nicer when somebody calls you God instead of animal. It's nice, socially, socially speaking, you know? So that's why I'm saying that I was shocked that Islam was the least of all religion, socially, politically, and ethically speaking. And I was amazed that Christianity was the toughest one top in everything, in everything. It takes days for me to tell you why. And they are so yummy and delicious. 
I was really amazed. And this is my heart, that I speak in universities. I sometimes have opportunity even to speak in the parliament, in the houses, to politicians. I have spoken so far to more than 2,000 churches, many organizations. That's my heart, that Christians need to prepare themselves to have reason why Christianity is the toughest. Possibly, I don't, I'm not quite sure, possibly more than 85% of Americans do not know why Christianity is top. You know, why, what is the leadership in Christianity? What is the work ethic in Christianity? What is the, you know, family values, organizational values? They do not know that. Christianity is not only salvation. That's the center of our belief. We are saved. We are living with God. That's wonderful, but that's not the whole story. People outside need to learn why Jesus is the source of contemporary civilization. They need to know that. I was amazed for individual freedom, that this individual freedom is only in this book. No other religion has individual freedom. You see, paganism, New Age, they say we believe in freedom. Well, you're God. I mean, if you're God, you should have freedom. Now, that's not freedom. Because if you're God, you don't need Him. People do not need each other. If you are not in contact with each other, in relationship with each other, freedom doesn't make sense there. So no freedom in any other religion. Not in Islam, not in communism, in other religion. Only freedom is here. This book. I discovered that the leadership of Christ made Western countries creative countries. And people from all over the world want to come and live in America. Why? Because of the creativity. You can put your brain into work freely, your heart. You can't do that in a dictatorship country. In those dictatorship countries, you, can, you are not creative. Look at the communist countries. Look at them. They don't have any economy. And several years ago, some of your politicians were feeling proud of... Um, what is this country's name, South America? Venezuela. Venezuela. <laughs> you know? Look at, look at the country now. They don't have creativity. Islamic countries do not produce. They are not creative. Why? Because they don't have freedom. If you want to be creative, you have to have freedom. That's in the book, in the Bible. It's amazed me in every way. But it didn't make me a follower of Jesus Christ. It changed my worldview towards Christianity. So then something happened to me personally. I lost my $30,000 to a Muslim businessman. I became his partner. And uh, after a while, he took my money and all his money escaped to Germany. I couldn't chase him legally because company was under his name. 
I was trying to find a friendly way to approach him, but I didn't know any of his friends. One day I remembered that there was a Christian group coming to him sometimes. I said to myself, hi, but if I go to their church, maybe they give me some ideas. So for the first time in my life, I'm going to a church for my money. <laughs> so I went to the church and uh, they offered their help to me. They said they would be able to find him in Germany for me. They had many friends there. They encouraged me to keep in touch with them. I asked them, how can I keep in touch with you? They said to me, in the church. That was not a good news. <laughs> because I was afraid to go to church, honestly. I mean, you as a Muslim, you don't go to church. But I was a fugitive politician, trying really to save my life, not to put myself in risk. Unlike my desire, I said, okay. And uh, so that pushed me to go there. My money pushed me to go there. And I was really, anytime I went to the church, I was, I was terrified that terrorists would come, you know, see me there, do something, you know. The church also situated, is situated in a very radical Islamic area. Anyhow, that money caused me to go to the church but see how my mighty God was working there. I was hearing their messages about God. Their messages about God was amazing. In Iran, I was also very much interested in philosophy, teaching philosophy. I never knew that God's philosophy in the Bible is different to the philosophy of God in all other religions. I never knew that. In this book, God is the personal God. In all other religions in the world, are, gods are impersonal God. In other words, they are non-person. They do not have any personality to be described as a person. Because they cannot be described as a person, they cannot reveal themselves. No God reveals himself or itself in other religions. Because God doesn't reveal, and therefore they are unknown. They are unknown. In Islam, in Hinduism, in all other religions, gods are unknown. They are following unknown gods. Do you do that in your daily life? Do you follow an unknown person? Do you go to a street and find an unknown person and say to that person, Madam, sir, I don't know you absolutely, but I am going to be your follower. Do you do that? You don't. So it's not something practical. In all other religions, they are following unknown God. But what really amazed me was God in the Bible is personal, so you can have personal relationship with God with your Creator. He has created you to have personal relationship with you, and so you can have it. All religious per people in the world, individuals, they desire in one way or the other to have relationship with their God, but their religion say you cannot have it. Islam says, no, it's not possible. That was amazing to me. That was so powerful for me. 
And that drew my attention to listen to them. Their reasoning. Their reasoning was powerful. That's why I'm saying to you, if we Christians prepare ourselves, we can touch the mind and heart of people. The harvest is ready, our Lord said. It is ready, really. The entire America is ready for the Lord, but their minds and hearts need to be touched. Why God is personal? Why God must be personal, actually. I'm using the word must. Because only personal God can have image. You cannot say God is non-person, or you cannot say, oh, there is no person here, but there is image. It doesn't work. No person, no image. No person, no brain. If you don't have brain, that means you do not have planning. If you do not have plan, you don't have creation. If you don't have plan, you don't have salvation. You don't have any action. You cannot say, I love you. You cannot care for others because you do not exist. You're non-existent. But if God is personal, then he can say, I am here for you. Let us have personal relationship. Let us, let, let me to fight for you. Isn't that yummy? That's powerful. That drew my attention. You see, I have gone for my money. Look what's happening to me. And then after a while, I had a dream. The following Sunday, I went to the church. I heard my dream from the pulpit. That amazed me. That dream, their teachings, their university study, all encouraged me to read their book personally. I took a New Testament first. New Testament, you need to give New Testament first to unbelievers because that's the fruit of the entire Bible. New Testament is the mightiest God philosophy book among all other religions book. New Testament not only reveals God to you, but puts your hand in the hands of God. There are mighty philosophical passages in the New Testament. One of them is John chapter 1. His word, the word was God, with God. You remember that? That's very philosophical. That's the philosophical definition. The word is the name of God. It's the philosophical name of God in all religions. In all religions, philosophy. If you ask who is God, they say to you the word. But what kind of word? There is different. The definition of word in the Bible is different to all other definitions in other religions. Bible says the word became flesh. In other religions, world cannot become anything. It's non-person. Now why to, to become flesh? Because the word wants to make himself known to you. He doesn't want blind obedience. You see the word. You see the beauty of the word. And then you turn back and compare with your own life with other standards. And you say, that's beautiful. I want that one. And open the door of your heart. 
he comes in, the other guy rushes out. <laughs> Why? Because they don't like each other. <laughs> they cannot live with each other. It's absolutely impossible to prepare a room for both God and Satan together. That don't work. One comes, the other one goes. Now you can say, the mighty God is with me, who is against me. Victorious. That's why Paul said you're more than conquerors. That means that you're ready now to destroy spiritual strongholds in your life. Amazing. I finished the gospel for the first time, started to read it for the second time. The love of Jesus Christ was amazing. Amazing. Everything in Christ is based on love, unconditional love. Now, it's not only religious, you see. It touched my heart in a logical way, too, my brain in a logical way, too. Because if you do not establish your life and love and kindness, it won't be possible for you here to be part of this community. It won't be possible for you to build friendship with people because only you need love to build friendship. You don't go to people and say, I hate you, but I want to become your friend. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Doesn't work. But that's why. And it's amazing that he... His gospel says, love God with all your being. Love your neighbors as yourself. <laughs> Amazing. It just, these are not really easy just to mention and pass. They are mighty, mighty things. And especially when it comes to the church, it says you are the members of one body. It's amazing. Amazing logic. Wisdom is there. You're the members of one body. Members of one body. They are together 100%. Not even 99.99%. 100%. That's the logical love. That's the definition of love. You love your beloved one 100%. You don't say to your wife or husband, honey, I love you really very much, but 95%, 100%. Amazing. And so, where I was, I lost myself. <laughs> yeah, love. I mean, everything based on love. The second reading of the gospel. I was amazed. I said, I have to give my life to him. And I did. He did other amazing things in my life. Uh, you see, I'm smiling here. <laughs> you see, that, that man is an American brother. He spent his entire life among Iranians. And he's nearly 80, still is working among Iranians. God has used him in an amazing way. And then God brought Mary, my wife, and three daughters. They joined me in Turkey. She didn't know I was a follower of Christ. I couldn't tell her. You remember she had a gun? <laughs> <laughs> I, if I told her, I would ruin her life. 
Because according to Islam, you have to divorce your spouse and then cooperate with leaders to kill your spouse. I didn't want to push her into the, to that chaos. I wanted her to come and see the changes in my life. Those changes are amazing, especially when husband is changed, because husband is very cruel to wife in Islam. You can, Quran says you can beat your wife. You can lock your wife in the room until she dies. Quran chapter 4, verse 15. So that kind of change I'm talking about. And she was amazed from the first day. I was smiling a lot. I was happy and uh, playing with my children. Sometimes I forgot she was there. I was singing with joy. Singing is music. Music is illegal in Islam. A committed Muslim doesn't do that. I mean, a lot of Muslims are music, musicians, musical, but it's against Islam. If Muslims take over, they destroy, ev destroy every instrument. Um, so she was, she was shocked. She was, you know, confused. She thought maybe I had gone crazy. And in the second week, she asked me. I told her she was terrified because it's terrifying for a Muslim to become a follower of Jesus Christ, especially for a mother, because in Islam, if you change your religion, they take your children from you. You don't have the right of guardianship over your children. Islam is a horrible religion. And I'm shocked and amazed that many Americans do not know that and call that religion a religion of peace. And even their followers, Many of their committed followers do not know their religion. It's amazing. That's why God is using us to open their, their eye. And so she was terrified, but she didn't take the children to go back. She could do that because she is the boss now. In Islam, if you change your religion, you lose your authority as a father, as a husband. Even you cannot... Ask your children to do anything. You obey your children. You're an ungodly person in, in Islam. You're an stranger now. So she had the authority to take the children and go back. But the Lord has done something for me behind this stage. And it's a long story, amazing story. She didn't go back. She remained there in Turkey. Week after week, she discovered that I was really changed. She was shocked and amazed. How can this man be changed? Gospel changed him. In my absence, without asking me, she was taking my gospel and reading it to see whether it changes people or not. She didn't tell me because she was an aggressive girl. She also in Islam, you don't want to share your weakness with an with a non-Muslim. I'm reading your book. That's a sign of weakness. You know? But I caught her one night. I woke up in the, in the morning at 2 o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep. She was not in the room. I went out. I saw she was reading my book. 2 in the morning. And I went closer to her. I said, what are you doing? This is 2 in the morning. Oh, you're reading my book? <laughs> and it was amazing. You know, she opens the book randomly. Matthew chapter 19 comes and she reads that book. 
That's a powerful book for chapter for Muslims, Muslim women. I don't know how many of you know in Islam, a husband has right to have four legal wives and as many as concubines or short marriages. That's the law in Islam. You can have wife even for one week. You know, husbands are free. Husbands are smiling here. <laughs> she never liked it. She was a committed Muslim. I tried my best in Iran to have my second, third, fourth legal wife. She didn't allow me to do that. Now, in that time, Iranian law was not changed. It was the first, second year I had to get still her per permission. You don't need permission now. She didn't allow that. She always wished me to have only her, even though it was, you know, not Islamic. So that's in the Matthew chapter 19. She opens the book randomly. Matthew chapter 19 comes. She reads a little bit. She says, oh, this book must be a good book. <laughs> you see, I saw Matthew chapter 19. I told her that's a powerful chapter. She smiled and she said to me, it's not your business. Go and sleep. <laughs> so I went to the room, shut the room, cried, cried. I said, I love you, Lord. You're the most powerful evangelist. <laughs> you know how to touch hearts. I praise your name. So long story, after two and a half months, she had a dream. Her dream was written in the book, in the Bible. And I read the story to her, and she was amazed. She cried. That dream softened her heart toward Jesus. Then after that, she joined ladies' meeting, Christian ladies meeting, she was amazed. She saw ladies were speaking with freedom. They were speaking like princesses. She said, wow, I call my religion a perfect religion, but I am in prison, in a perfect prison. So God encouraged her. Then she read the gospel seriously, and eventually she gave her heart to the Lord, and the Lord changed the entire family. The Lord changed a radical Muslim family, destroyed the stronghold of Satan in their lives. Not only that, as Brother mentioned, he is using us in the world among Muslims and in Western world and all, all countries. And uh, we have, you know, ministry um, First, as I mentioned to you, we do in the, in the countries, they call themselves Christian. So I get invited to different places, the speaking conferences, sometimes in universities, as I mentioned to you, but mostly in the churches, to help people to understand Christianity in every way. And the second one is reaching out to Muslim. And as Brother Jeff mentioned, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We are, you know, that book um, he showed to you, understanding and freedom. We are trying to translate it into 12 languages. It's a comparative. It's an apologetic book. It compares everything. It's good for you, too, you know, because it's conversational. It helps you, 
you know, to prepare yourself, you know, in, 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 in your conversation with, with other people. So far we have done, you know, English. They are in our YouTube and Facebook channel, the DVD, and Farsi, that Persian. We have done the Turkish book. It's in uh, Amazon, you know, uh, and also we printed and distributing that freely as much as we can. And this, the Swahili book, you know, it's the new one, and uh, we have uh, printed it. And now we are doing, um, the Arabic is very close to finish. Actually, I have got the final, um, you know, DVD, and uh, we are planning to uh, prepare it. We have started Indonesian. We have started um, Urdu one I haven't mentioned here. Urdu actually, we have done, on, you know, several chapters. And so I, have, I am in communication for Hausa and other, you know, uh, um, African language and French, because many African people speak French. This year, hopefully, we'll do them, or minimum two of them. So that's our goal, uh, to uh, reach out to a billion Muslims with 12 languages. And I, I personally want also to thank you for that. Now, I just want to take uh, some minutes here. I've got some minutes here to give you some tips that, you know, you saw that he destroyed the satanic, you know, um, stronghold in our life. He is mighty. But not only he changes us, he, give us, uh, he gives us um, identity, new character to fight against Satan and to be his vessels to open the eyes of many people in the world and to put their hands in the hands of God. You have an heavenly identity in Christ. To align yourself with the kingdom of heaven. To be a co-worker for heaven. That, that's actually your, the names of your identity. You're the apple of God's eye. You know, you're the temple of God. God lives in you. You're more than conqueror. You're not only conqueror, more than conqueror, because your minds and hearts are established on the higher ground. That's a ground Satan cannot reach there, because your leader there is God. He is mighty. There are, there are many other things. You're the child of God. You're the temple of God, as I, I think I mentioned that to you. So a lot of things are there in, in the Bible. You're the co-worker of God. You're the members of God's household. These are your identities. But how can you get them daily in your life to live a victorious life? First, my first tip to you is this. I have learned a lot of things. You need to listen to me carefully. You need to believe it. You need to proclaim it at least to yourself in your prayer. To claim it. I am the salt and light almighty God. It makes a great difference when you claim it. When you call yourself, when you're daily talking to Jesus, you, can, you should say to him, I'm your temple. I am more than conqueror. 
Your spirit is in me and me with me. That's what Jesus did himself. He claimed everything that was told about him in the Old Testament. He said, the son of man, you know, the capital S and M. Son of man? Son of man has the power of deity. It's not a normal man. The man, Daniel, prophet Daniel, speaks about him. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He claimed them. Because you need, that's your identity. It's the right way to do that. Identity means who you are. That comes first, before the action. That's the significant major difference between Christianity and all other religions. In Christianity, who you are is the important thing, not what you do first. You have to be first and then do. In all other religions, they do and try to be. If you ask a Muslim, do you belong to hell or heaven? The righteous Muslim, he says, I don't know. I'm trying now to do things maybe I will be. That's not you. Your identity is proven in Christ. Who you are, I am heavenly citizen. I belong to heaven. I belong to the excellence of heaven. So your identity comes first. Your presence in the church comes first, and then your obligation. Because if you're not here, then your, obliga your obligation doesn't make sense. Huh? So your existence, the personality, the character of your existence, the nature of your availability is the first, not what you do. That's why you need to claim it. Proclaim in your prayer. Come on, do that. Every day in your prayer, say, your spirit is on me. He did. He said the son, he, he accepted he was the son of man. And then he said, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sin. You have to claim it and then prove it. That's the important thing. He did a lot of things. He said, you remember that he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me? You have to claim it first. To do what? To release the oppressed. To give sight to blind. And goes on. So you need to claim it. That's the first one. If you want to destroy the stronghold, the darkest spots in your life, that's it. And if you want to be the salt and light out of other people, you need to proclaim it daily in your life. The second tip, you need to understand the capacity of your identity and its mission. How much you can do that? Is that limited or unlimited? The gospel says you are the temple of God. What does that mean? That means God is in your heart. The mighty creator, 
the one who is bigger than everything in the world is in your heart. In other words, your heart is able to accommodate God, his words and work. Your heart is able to accommodate God. God is the mighty one. Is there any limited thing, you know, limitation in your heart? No, because God is there. He can do everything. That's why the Bible says, if God is with us, who is against us? Paul says that, actually. Or, or psalmist. You know, psalm says in, in Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7. If God is with us, who is against us? So you see the authority behind your identity. That's why you're called more than conqueror. That's why Paul says, in Jesus, I can do everything. Even actually, psalmist is interested in, 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 interesting. in Psalm 118, verse 7 says, If God is with me, I will aim at prevailing, triumphing over on my enemy. Oh my goodness, that's so powerful. If God is with you, in other words, you can win, you can win other person. That's what psalmist is saying that. And it has happened to me a lot. You know, I'm, I'm working among Muslims. I have a lot of enemies. There are committed Muslims. Many of them hate me. They just want to get rid of me, you know, as soon as possible. And I have, you know, had experiences with them. Some of them very, you know, um, dangerous, bitter. In one case, a committed Muslim attacked me. Physically, he wanted to punch me in the church in Africa. And some pastors and people jumped and protected me from him. You know, I had this experience a lot of time. Verbally or physically, they attacked me. But I thought, I said, God is allowing, that, allowing this to happen to me. So God doesn't want only me to be nervous there. There is more thing behind that, you know, or people to be nervous. There is a mission for me there, and that's, what the, that's the mission that Psalmist said that. I want to prevail over my enemies. So one day, this guy attacked me. I told him, sir, I think God allowed that, you know, they, they were holding him. I was in front of him. I said, I, I think God allowed that, this to happen for a reason, sir. I think you have a mission. At least I know your mission is to beat me. <laughs> but, sir, I have a mission, too. I have a mission, too. Could you please kindly give me one minute or two? I also express my mission. And then after that, I would ask these pastors to go stay a little bit away so you can punch me as much as you like, sir. I said, sir, do you believe that your religion is the most perfect religion in the world? That's what they do, I mentioned to you. Without exception, every Muslim says that Islam is the most perfect religion in the world. So I challenged him. He said, yes, we believe. I believe. I said, sir, you see, listen to me. How can you bring the stronghold down? You know? No matter who comes to you, 
all the enemies of Jesus came to him, but he wanted to win them for the kingdom. It's our obligation. Doesn't matter the person is soft or aggressive. God allowed him to come to you for you to put his hand in the hand of God. I said, sir, do you believe that? He said, yes. I said, do you believe that the perfect religion should have perfect wisdom? He paused a little bit and he said, yes. I said, sir, so you're saying that your religion is the most perfect religion in the world and it has the most perfect wisdom. He said, yes. I said, sir, perfect wisdom doesn't need punch. Perfect wisdom responds to every question, bad or good, challenging or soft one. He was embarrassed in front of people. He apologized me. We had communication after that with each other. After six months, he gave his heart to the Lord. My identity is victorious. I have his character in my life. Nothing can defeat me. His wisdom is above everything. Let me give you another tip. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a little bit difficult. You need to sacrifice here. You need to learn the language of your identity well. Don't become easy Christian. In the Western countries, I hear heartbreaking theologies, doctrines. There are some Christians who says the real faithful ones never suffer. You know, that's the easy Christianity. That's not mentioned in the book. So you need to prepare yourself to align yourself with your heavenly identity. You need to learn that language very well. You know why? Because the enemy is called the father of liars. The father of lie and deception comes to you in a subtle way. The enemy doesn't come to you say, yeah, I am Satan. No, comes to you like an angel of light to deceive you. You have to prepare yourself to understand that deception. And also, he has blinded many people. They are not going to listen to you easily unless you touch their minds and hearts. Thirdly, the Bible says, the word of God is sharper than, than any two-edged sword. In other words, the word is so sharp. Now, if the word is so sharp, if you are not sharp, how you are going to prove the effectiveness of that word? Huh? So you have to prepare yourself. You have to learn that language. One of the learning ways is to get involved in evangelism because you're learning that process. The second one, read your Bible very well. 
learn how Jesus and Paul and others dealt with the enemies. In what way? Reason. Learn them. It's so important. People are coming to you with many, you know, uh, different reactions to, toward your message. And one day, I just, I just say that I'm finished. One day, a white man, a leftist, very bluntly uh, said to my face that Christianity is rubbish. Again, I, it, it breaks my heart just to leave this, you know, uh, um, to leave this that out of my life. The man has spoken to me. That's the advantage for me, no matter he is attacking my faith or not. He said to my face that Christianity is rubbish. And I said to him, sir, do you really believe it's rubbish? He said, yes, I do. I said, sir, then I desperately need your help. He said, what do you mean? I said, sir, I need your help. You have discovered, you have found this is rubbish. I am carrying this rubbish in my heart. Sir, I honestly do not like to carry rubbish in my heart. And I'm grateful, sir, that you have discovered it. You are so more powerful than I am in education and study. So you have reached the light, sir. I really want to reach that light. I need your help. He said, how can I help you? I said, sir, Jesus said, love your spouse as your own body. Love your neighbor as yourself, sir. We know this is so simple that love and kindness only bring, respect brings people together. Could you please tell me which part of this is rubbish? <laughs> he told me, now they are good. <laughs> I said, sir, Jesus again said, the greatest among you is the servant of all, sir. Sir, for 30 years I have studied all other cultures and religions, sir. I have discovered that a flat leadership, a servant leadership, allows the followers, the delegates to express themselves. That expression brings people together, ideas together, Ideas cross each other, and they find the best idea and opinion, and they follow that. And because of that, Western countries became creative, sir. Sir, I'm coming from a culture, from a country that I even was unable to say to my father, but. I remember one day I said to my father, but. He was very close to kill me. I just said, Dad. But I am busy here with my school. I will finish my exam tomorrow, and I'll come and help you. And he wanted to kill me. Oh, you're speaking beyond my word? Sir, that was my dad. Sir, if I criticize the president of the organization, I will lose my job, sir. That minimum. If I criticize the president or prime minister or the king, I am dead, sir. But Jesus says, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. Could you please tell me which part of this is rubbish, sir? He said, that's written in the gospel? 
I said, didn't you know that was written in the gospel, sir? He said, no. I said, sir, that breaks my heart a lot, sir. You haven't read the gospel. You don't know Christianity. You call Christianity rubbish, sir. It really breaks my heart, sir. It seems to me that you're an educated person. You're an educated person. You do not know. What can I expect from an uneducated person in the Western countries, sir? And he apologized me. And he accepted to read the gospel. God has given this identity to you to prepare that language for yourself. To touch the heart of people. This is the only way for you to rescue America from many ungodly people who hate Christ and Christianity in this country. So that's my tip to you. Thank you so much. I, I'm handing over the time to pastor.